On Sunday nights, we continue our journey with John. That journey has been our goal to walk with John as he tells us about the life of Jesus from a rather unique perspective. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, If you don't know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. That means literally the same eye, the same view. Reason is, you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you notice a lot of similarities. Sometimes you have a Bible that as you read along in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it will say, here's where that story is you're reading in Matthew, here's where that story is in Mark and Luke. But John, John's the odd fellow, and he does things a little differently, and and that's what attracted me to his book, and so that's why we're walking through it intentionally, purposefully, on Sunday nights. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, you want to open to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 22. We're going to talk about John tonight, but we're not going to talk about John the Apostle. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. The Apostle John writes this, speaking of John the Baptist. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem. Because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. John's way of saying, by the way, that makes it harder to baptize people when you're in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan... The one who you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. There's a couple of points I want to talk about tonight, but to talk about this, I need to uh, expound on an idea that John 
goes over again and again in his book. And it is this idea of from above. John the Baptist is very clear that he is not from above. He's saying, why are you getting bothered about this guy baptizing people, people going to see him? Of course they would go to see him. He's from above. He's greater than I am. When you hear me, you're just hearing a guy who's passionate for the Lord, who wants to prepare the way for the bridegroom. But I'm not the bridegroom. What you see happening here is a holy matrimony. A wedding taking place. And I'm, I'm not sure how Brent knew it. I'm just going to call it the Spirit. But for you to bring Psalm 45 and to talk to us about the wedding psalm is so perfect and so fitting. Because what's happening here is, uh, well, as Paul will say in Ephesians 5, this is a great mystery. But it involves Christ and the church. Okay, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but John chapter 3, verse 3, what we learned about last week. Uh, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And every single translation has some sort of footnote, some sort of asterisk or something that says, and some, some, the original language says, could it be translated born again? Or born from above. He's very clear to Nicodemus that it was impossible to be of the kingdom unless you experience being born from above, being born again. Turn to John chapter 6. And John chapter 6 is the story of just uh, uh, Jesus doing this great miracle and he's preparing. To do this wonderful thing. And in verse 32, Jesus said, it's because of an argument with the Pharisees, and the, he says, they say, verse 30, I'm sorry, what miraculous sign will the, then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, the the, the true bread, the true sustenance is going to come from above. It's not going to come from within, and it's not going to come from below. Turn from John chapter 3 to, I'm sorry, John chapter 6, now over to John chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 10. Do you refuse to speak to me, said Pilate? Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, verse 11, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. 
John chapter 8, Jesus will say to the Pharisees as they're arguing with him, you are from below, I am from above. It's important to understand that what John is doing, what John the Apostle is doing, in reiterating this idea of from above, is differentiating between Jesus as one from heaven and every other teacher who ever lived who was from earth. Even John the Baptist, who was powerful prophet and preacher and, and did mighty works to prepare the kingdom, to prepare the way for the kingdom, he was just the bridegroom. Uh, not the, he was this, the best man, excuse me. He was taking his joy not in being the focus of attention. You see, in the Jewish culture, the best man, he was the one who did all the planning. He took all of the, all of the details and the stress and all the things that had to be done were taken care of by the best man. Why? Because it was his joy to see the happiness of the bridegroom. Now, this idea of, uh, I told you, we we're kind of in a, seeing here a spiritual wedding happening. That John was saying, I'm not the bridegroom. That's not my job. The guy you're talking about, the guy you're jealous of, he's the bridegroom from above. I'm not from above. All right. The Jews would have understood this. Let's turn very quickly to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter... <clears throat> 54, verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Uh, turn over just nine, uh, eight chapters to Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. As a young man marries a maiden, so your sons will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. This picture of God and his beautiful bride being in covenant together. It was talked about through Isaiah. And of course, when they went off and worshipped other gods, God compared that to adultery. God said they had been unfaithful. Uh, God accused them in the same way that a wife who had cheated on her husband. Now, we come into this, this new kingdom, and this idea continues. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, I hope that you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you're already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. The church in our, in this new covenant is the bride. And Christ is the bridegroom. John the Baptist is the best man. And uh, it's beautiful to think of how deeply, how wonderfully John got it. You see, all of John's disciples are gathering around him. John had been preaching. He had been drawing crowds. He had been baptizing people. And, of course, as, the, as his notoriety and his fame sort of built, and people came out to the wilderness to see John, this powerful man of God, 
And then all of a sudden, this unknown fella, he wasn't unknown to John, of course. John leapt the very first time he heard the voice of his own mother. But this unknown fella to everybody else, this carpenter that no one had heard of, starts beginning to baptize people and drawing disciples. And John's disciples become a bit concerned about that because the crowds are getting smaller. The baptisms are getting fewer, and all the people who were coming to hear John are now going to see this other guy. And John says, don't worry about it. There's a purpose in that, too. He understands he's not the bridegroom. He must become greater. I must become less. These lessons for us are... There are many of them, but as we think about them, I want us to begin to think about who you are and who you are in relationship to Jesus. The first very simple point is that everything you have is borrowed. I'm not one for borrowing, but um, everything that you have has been given to you from heaven. John says, a man can receive only what has been given him from heaven. Go ahead, just try to think of one thing that you received that you had before you came into this world. There's nothing. Your life, your breath, everything that you have, everything that you are, the people in your family, your relationships, your money, your stuff, the clothes that you wear, the food that you eat, it's all his A man can receive only that which he's received from heaven. If you understand that, it should give you a great deal of humility in understanding that you are truly God's servant. And he has created you for a purpose, and everything he's given you is to achieve that purpose. We get confused when we mix it up. When we say, you know, boy, everything I have... I, I owe to myself. I've done pretty good for myself. I've, I built up quite a nest egg. I have a number of connections. I'm very respected in my field. May God have mercy on you or I if we ever have such an attitude, such pride, such arrogance. There's nothing you have that did not come from heaven and that you can only receive been given to you from heaven. My question is from a stewardship perspective, what are you doing with it? You see, John understood very clearly that if he was to lose the crowds, it didn't bother him because they had only been given to him for a reason and a purpose and a time. And when that time was up, it was all right because God had other things that needed to be done. A man can be Given A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. Verse 29 of chapter 3. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine, and it is now complete. 
as we said, the bridegroom or the, the best man was called, the, the friend of the groom was called to prepare the way, to take care of the stress and the details. And it was now John's joy because the time had come. The bridegroom was here. The kingdom was upon him. And the time would come when John the Baptist would not be needed. And John said, my only job here is to get out of the way, to let God work. If everything that you have is a gift from above, James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If everything that you are, your purpose, your family, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your money, your stuff, are all on loan from God, then it's very important to understand that someday God will call the note. And that's okay. Should give you a great deal of holy fear that God's going to say, I gave this to you. What did you do with it? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he say, away from me, I never knew you? The best thing we can do is what John did. And this is our second point. Everything you are must become less. You see, everything you have is not yours, and everything you are must become less. Why is it that you have anything that you have? John's joy was not in in being the best man, but his joy was in the bridegroom. His joy was complete in him. His purpose, as he, as he saw it, his joy would only become greater the more that he shrank. The less of John the Baptist you could see, the fewer people that talked about John the Baptist, the smaller crowds he brought only meant more glory, more honor, more worship, more understanding of the Christ. The one who he knew his whole life's purpose was to prepare the way for him. And if glory increased to Christ... And John had done his job. If he had become less, then John had done his job. There's two views of this. The, the purpose of your life is all about yourself. You live for yourself. You serve yourself. You think about yourself. You, you achieve everything you have by yourself. And, of course, I must become greater. That's the temptation of people my age. I must become greater. And then you get to a point of wisdom, hopefully, where you understand that you're not going to get any greater. In fact, you're going to get a whole lot less. And God's going to shrink your life until it just comes all back to what you had to start with. And that's okay. If your joy has been to glorify Christ, that's a beautiful picture. If your joy has been only in yourself, oh, what a small package. Oh, what a sad story. The steward is the opposite of the selfish servant. He lives for the Savior, and he knows that he is not entitled to anything, but he's been entrusted with something. And if you've been entrusted with something, there's a point in which you give that which you've been entrusted with back. He must become greater and I must become less. Now look at verse 31 that follows. 
The one who comes from above is above all. I know you think that you have troubles and trials. I know you think that you've got some business deals coming up. You, I know you think you've got some, some family issues that are not being worked out. I know you believe that, that, that there is something fundamentally self-centered about this world and that somehow, some way, everything that, you're ha- that you have and that you are and that you're going through makes any bit of difference. But you are under false delusion. Your goal is to glorify Christ as John glorified Christ. And may we see ourselves becoming less and less and less. May your mission be so bound up in his heart that people cannot tell the difference. And indeed they increasingly see less and less of you. So... Your body becomes his temple. Your body, if you're a Christian, in your body somehow in a way that is beyond my explanation, there dwells the Spirit of God. So how do you treat the temple? Your mind is is. Christ, and, and it's our goal, like Paul, to let every thought be captive to Christ. My question is, what does your mind think upon? What do you renew your mind with? What do you fill your mind with? Your work is His. But do you seek your glory in your work, or do you seek His glory in your work? Your family is His. But are you worried about what your kids will become and, 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 and how successful in this world they will be? I, if we had PowerPoints you could see, I would love to show you a picture. There was a portrait done of a man who, just in your mind's eye, picture a man who... Has kind of given up on life. And he's not a man, by the way, who's unsuccessful. He happens to be a pharmacist. His name is Trevor. But Trevor doesn't look very happy in this picture. Because he says, my calling. I had some dreams and some hopes and some things that I really felt compelled that God was bringing me to do. My parents said, you know, that's fine. But. But what would be good for you to do is be a doctor or a lawyer so you can have security and wealth. And then you can do those things. He's a pharmacist. He makes good money. But now he's so tied into his security that it's hard for him to break loose. May God forgive those parents. And may God keep pressing on him. To live out the fulfilling, the purpose of his life that God's called him. And that may mean for him to become less. That's John's passion. That's John's desire. And that's John's joy. Everything you have is his. And yet everything you are, if you are serving Christ, must become less. Well, we have some other things to tend to tonight, so... 
I want to finish by recapping with, besides those two things, some lessons from John. John knew his place and his role. He, he knew that his life was a gift and that his life had purpose and that was not about him. As we look at the book of John, John the Baptist will increasingly become less and less and less. There's not a problem with that as long as John has been doing that which he's been called to do. Sometimes we believe that if my role is becoming less and less, if I'm shrinking, that I'm doing something wrong, I'm not enjoying the blessings of God. But what if you fulfilled your purpose? What if God said, okay, this this chapter is over. I need my purpose to grow more and more. May we take John's attitude that he should become greater, that we should become less. He ends with this, and I think this is a great place to to leave it. The Father loves the Son, and he's placed everything in his hands. Do you believe that? Or do you believe foolishly that somehow it's in your hands? Isn't it good that tonight, I don't know, depending on your normal time of going to bed, that you will that you will go to sleep, that it is impossible for you to go too long without sleep, that God has wired human beings to basically require 25 to 35 percent of them to be off. It's God's idea of a constant nap time. And if you're a parent, you understand why that's valuable. But there's a lesson in that. That when you lay your head on the pillow and you close your eyes, you are not involved in the world's affairs. And you cannot control if you'll wake up again. That you have to trust that God's got it in in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands. Now listen, John knew that. John wanted his disciples to know that. It didn't matter if John shrank to nothing. Because his joy was in something far greater from above. May our joy be tied to something greater. So that as our lives shrink, and they oh, they most assuredly will. That he's still got you. He's still got the whole world in his hands. May we not forget. May we seek John's attitude. That everything that we have is His. Everything that we are must become less. He must become greater. And I must become less. Tonight I want to call you. And that is if you've been working on making yourself more and more. And you need to repent. You need to turn away from that. Because that is a path that leads to death. But I want to ask you to become less and less.
To let Christ be the glory. To be Christ. To let Christ be the honor. To let Christ receive your devotion. Because he's got all of it in his hands. The The Father loves the Son. And he loves you too. And because he loves you, he sent his son to die for you. And if you have not yet begun the journey and followed Jesus to take that first step in the, in, the, in the place of repentance and faith and baptism, I want to call you to do that tonight. But if you've been following Jesus and you find yourself being focused on yourself way too much, I want to call you tonight to less. Whatever your need is, come. As together we stand and sing.